Good afternoon. You are tuned to XL Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. XL Radio is a weekly podcast celebrating diversity in music, bringing you stories of musical practice and cultural heritage from artists around the world. My name is Zan, and I will be with you for the next hour. I am incredibly honoured and proud to today present the guest curator, Isabel Barnes, who will be talking about her musical practice, her cultural heritage, and her experience of being a performer in Melbourne. The music Isabel has selected today is also incredible and I am so excited to share it with you. Huge thank you to Isabel for being part of this endeavour. listening to Crimson Eyes by Sigmund, a psychedelic rock band that started from three art students in Bandan in Malaysia. Sigmund quotes their inspiration as the likes of Salvador Dali and, as you guessed it from the name, Sigmund Freud. So this album for them is really an experimental psychedelic endeavour into psychoanalysis. They also said that they had a lot of thematic elements of both the symbolism of evil and surrealist landscape paintings. Two musical themes I don't think you often see combined. Mm-hmm. 
Hello. <laughs> well done, baby. Fucking blocked all of the things without realizing because I just do it all the time because I'm like, they're watching me. It was such a crackpot thing to do. Yeah, how are you going in this time of meta surveillance being like everyone is literally watching me? <laughs> yeah, I think that that is probably it. I mean, I was already bad, but they don't call me a tinfoil hat motherfucker for nothing, but <laughs> I'm more true. <laughs> How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I've spent all day in this little lounge room zooming people. <laughs> it's been it's been funny. I've tried like every different couch in the lounge room and I'm now I'm now settling for the floor. <laughs> Makes me feel grounded. Get back to my kid position. <laughs> I have like a designated chair for eating and then another different chair for studying. And I can never mix them up. I'm the bass player in Hextet and I'm also studying ethnomusicology with the lovely Zen at My mum is from Malaysia and she comes from an ethnic minority that a lot of people might not know about. Um, in Malaysia they can sometimes be called Orang Kristan, which means Christian people, um, though not all of them are necessarily Christian anymore. And basically they're an ethnic minority that came out of Portuguese colonizers coming to the port of Malacca to trade in spice and also to convert people to Christianity. Um, they, unlike sort of other countries, the Portuguese colonized, a lot of them stayed in Malaysia and built a community with a church and a fort and there was a big like fishing culture and there also grew quite a big like music and dance culture there. Um, they also have their own language that is now dying out. So yeah, my mum's family are from that group. Um, a lot of the traditions are very like 15th century Portuguese, which is interesting. So a lot of people play the guitar and sing um, sort of similar stuff to Portuguese music like Fado. So it's like fishing songs or like related to sailing. Okay. Um, it's not something that's really carried on in the group today. So we maybe have a couple of songs and dances but they're really hard to find and as I said the language is dying so it's interesting like we're very musical people and all of my great aunts and uncles were piano teachers and they love to sing especially at like family gatherings but it's also weirdly European and colonial so it's like different practices have gotten lost as a result of migration and colonization so 
it's interesting how music can be so embedded in our culture, but also we're not quite sure what our music is. But interestingly, my mum's paternal grandfather and her maternal grandfather are both from South India. They also had a Portuguese element. Um, they're from a place called Kerala. Mm. So we've got a bit of like a musical influence there as well. That's the background on some colonial history for you. Yeah, it's so interesting learning about how the Portugal influence has gone. I think whenever I research music from Africa, so many of the countries are half European and then, yeah, Portuguese influences as well. Yeah, I mean, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the French and the British and, so- and somewhat the Dutch just really, they really went everywhere. <laughs> impacted music in such crazy ways. And, like, even, like, the Malay language has words from old Portuguese. Um, I think the word for butter, the word for cheese and stuff like that. Um, and even, I think, you might have been in this class when we talked about this, there were, like, some instruments in Japan that were influenced by Portuguese guitars. Like, it's just... Like, the more you delve into it, the more you can see. It's really Yeah. So in terms of instrumentation, is that the same that a lot of the instruments that you would find in Malaysia are Portuguese-influenced as well, like guitar? Actually not. I find a lot of the instruments that are, like, still popular and sort of, like, culturally significant are either ones that the Aranasli, who are the indigenous Malaysians, use. Um, one of the songs I picked has it are the... Bulo Limbo, which is kind of like a really big tube made of like a bamboo sort of wood. Or you can have like different percussion instruments. They're sort of like more Southeast Asian or indigenous. The Portuguese sort of, their instruments didn't really influence us as much as they did other countries, except for like people in sort of my mom's group who play just the regular guitar. But yeah, I was, they didn't bring that one with them first. Yeah. Is this something that your parents are vocal about as well in the, like, the influence of, like, not having what they consider to be, like, an Indigenous music tradition? Or is this more something that you've just picked up while studying ethnomusicology? I sort of felt a loss with, like, my family aren't really musical, like I said, but it's very, like, Western classical or, like, religious thing, that sort of thing. And as I was growing up, like, I had other friends who were, like, different, like, also South and Southeast Asian, but different ethnicities, and I saw them go to, like, Indian classical dance class, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't have that, even though we're from the same area. Oh, we're musical, but it's not. Like, I felt like it was missing that other thing. But they were always really, like, encouraging with me learning music, like, whatever form that took, which was cool. Like, it's culturally important. Because it was interesting, like, when you asked me about my family's relationship with music, it did have me thinking about the fact that our ethnic group just don't have our own distinct music as a result of colonisation and how it's interesting that that didn't develop when so many other parts of our culture did it. Yeah. Do you find the same with the music from southern India? Because I know I feel like the music from Kerala has it's like a very strong tradition going but yeah I can't say like is that all coming from a Portuguese influence as well yeah I'm I'm not sure the stuff I've encountered didn't seem as influenced but it actually was really lovely because when I finished high school um my mum and dad and I went to South India and none of us had been before so my mum was really excited to see where her grandfathers came from and we saw a traditional Katakali performance which is like a South Indian theatre 
sort of tells the folk tales of the region and like has beautiful makeup and amazing percussion and dancing. And I like got to because I'm a flautist as well as a bass player, so I like got to see some like little flutes in the shop and like little stringed instruments that I'd never seen before. And it was really it was really cool. And how did your own relationship to becoming a musician start? That's a good question. Um, apparently, I don't remember this, but I was like two years old and my sister was going to violin class and I just like begged and begged my mum to let me go. And I was like, please let me go to music class, please. And she was like, okay. <laughs> like, <"No." laughs> so I started doing like baby, like classes where you like get to bang on some tiny xylophones, like that kind of thing. And so it's like very classical driven. And like, I guess I'd sort of underestimated as well, like my mum playing old school, like Malaysian pop or like Bollywood movies and Chinese opera, because that was what she grew up with. She was always played in the house, which was really cool. Or like even played in the car when she picked me up from school. Though mm. so, my background is very Western and very classical and then went into punk. Like when I started learning more about world music and learning more about my own culture, it was more familiar than I expected. My mum had always like, This track is called Evil War and is by Shark Move, put out in 1971. Shark Move is an Indonesian rock band who were really famed for combining rock music with traditional Indonesian harmonies and progressive sounds.
kind of led to the transition from more like a classical training to moving into punk? I think I just love like how much a solid understanding of technique can help you do. And I love how in classical like there's that striving for like pushing your art and like for excellence. But I guess I don't like how rigid and elitist it can be. So it just felt like why not apply this like desire for experimentation and excellence to any genre. And I was like, you know, I like to be loud and angry. Why don't I push it into this thing that I listen to for fun and try to combine the attitudes? Yeah, be loud and angry with extreme precision. (laughs) Yeah, that's my favorite way to be. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, I think it was very political for me, like, coming into punk music. Like, it felt like I wanted to be able to talk about my feelings and experiences in a sort of more direct way that people could relate to. Because I I think that school music is important, and obviously it's very related to politics and culture, but... It's just not really, it doesn't speak to people in that same direct way, at least not anymore, I think. Yeah, no, it's definitely far. Oh, I think you could argue both of them can be quite inaccessible depending on the crowd. That's really true. And I mean, that's sort of what I'm looking at in my research is like how punk could be more accessible to people of colour and to women. And to like queer non-binary people, like anyone who's not a white this guy, you know. Yeah, is that something you found as well that punk was more accessible to you by way of being a woman of colour? It I feel like in its at its core, like what it represents and what it means, because it's trying to uplift people from like oppressed roots, yes, in like in its essence, but in the way that the subculture exists in Australia, absolutely not. Like I felt so uncomfortable trying to be a part of that. For a really long time and even before I was in a band like I always just felt really out of place going to those venues and going to those gigs even though I'd always listened to that music and so until I sort of carved the space for myself and was just like fuck it I'm just gonna play I felt really intimidated entering the space even though I felt like the music really resonated with me if that makes sense. Yeah would you say like in Melbourne at least it was a receptive field for you or it was just like you've been put up against a lot of barriers throughout the years? I think things are changing a lot. Like, I think when I was in high school, I was way too accommodated. But then sort of like when Wet Fest started, that was like a really big moment for me. It was like, oh, there are like people who aren't just white guys like on the stage. And so that like only as it became slightly easier. And so it seemed like at first it was like, addressing the problem of gender where it was kind of just like this is a man's space and so I got over that pretty quickly like I feel like that's changed a lot in the last few years but I still do feel like there is the problem of race for me and like going into a space and being like uh this is very white even mm. though like the message of the music is open and like progressive it still has a little bit of a way to go yeah definitely and I guess with that it also comes with when you feel like you're one of the few and there's so many like white cis males there you also feel like a pressure maybe to like be representative of a certain genre that's also a lot of pressure to put on a performer yeah and I mean that's sort of why I don't like restrict myself like from a booking perspective when I'm you know doing a show with my band I don't feel like we have to just keep it to other punk bands because otherwise it sort of feels just like 
there aren't enough of us sometimes. I'm kind of like, oh, if I want to not be the only person of color on this slide, then we're going to have to not just look on fans. And honestly, a lot of the time, I feel like better that way. I really enjoy it. But yeah, I think that changing the community and letting things be more fluid in that way is really great. This is Rosia Latif and the Jayhawkers with the track Aku Kachewa. This was a five-piece band fronted by Rosia Latif, who was discovered by the guitarist at a talent show and scouted for her incredible voice. This type of surf rock music is a really key example of a genre in Malaysia called Pop Ya Ya. This was a form of Malay popular music that was taken from the titles of the Beatles song, She Loves You, Yeah Yeah Yeah. I won't try to sing that one. Pop Yeah Yeah is therefore considered to be a fusion genre of classical Malay rhythms with rock, rock and roll, surf rock, and R&B. After your interest has risen so much in more traditional music from both Malaysia and South India, has that influenced your parents at all and like provoked them to listen to more music from their own cultural background? I realised I said paternal grandfather. I meant my mum's paternal grandfather. My dad is actually British. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> 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 um, with my mum's, yeah, with my mum's culture, 
I like as I was doing the research for this, I was sort of sending her stuff, and I was like, "Oh, have you heard of this? What's this?" And I realized that like I think she does listen to it quite a lot, and maybe it just feels so natural for her. Um, like I said, like in the car, but I was sending her like some of that '60s surf guitar, like Malaysian rock that I added to it, and it was fun, like hearing her reminisce about that and talking about like the film stars from back then. And also, like, the stuff that she didn't know because she was quite young at that time. So I was kind of like, oh, did you know that AMI had a studio in Singapore? And she was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> but I think in terms of, like, more traditional, I think she enjoys listening to it, but it sort of feels like it ends there. Like, it's sort of like they're listening to it but not participating, that makes sense. And I think it's hard to participate in culture far away. Like, when you have a community... And it's like embedded in what you're doing or in an activity. It's one thing, but it was really nice actually. Like we went to a couple of weddings in the last few years, and both times there were like traditional performances there, and it just felt really beautiful and nostalgic. And I remember my mom being really touched, and she was like, "Oh, so nice to see this! Like, so nice to hear the music in context, and it's so fun!" Like. He's had a lion dance at his wedding, which was really awesome. And then my other cousin has had, like, full Indian drumming and, like, a huge procession. It was just, like, really enjoyable. I think it's, like, when you're part of the diaspora, it can feel a bit alienating and hard to connect with your community through music sometimes. So I like to think that my, like, nerdy research and, like, Holds into 60s Malaysian surf rock means something for my family and that they can re-engage with the world they grew up in because it's so distant now. Yeah, and even, like, the context in which you leave a country, I think, would inform your wish to go back and listen to it. And I think, like, it's no secret that Malaysia has its own political tensions and I think sometimes it can be, like, listening to that stuff reminds my family of the fact that, like, government's corrupt <laughs> like oh mm. I wish it was like the good old days where we all got along and I was like yeah it sucks but sometimes music is the way to reconnect with that and it's the way to reconnect people and can we talk a bit about some of the tracks that you've picked and what they are <laughs> I had so much fun it was the best assignment ever well I think the most obvious place to start was um there's this amazing record store in Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital city of Malaysia, called Tandang Store. And I'd gone there, the first time I went to Malaysia by myself, like without my parents, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to really engage with like youth culture because it's something I'd never gotten to do as like the child of a migrant. Like I'd only ever been to see my family. So I was like, I'm going to go and be a young person in this country. And so I went onto their website and they just like have a whole category of new south and southeast asian releases and so i just like troll them sometimes and i'm like what are all the punks in malaysia doing i want to listen so that's how i found that um no control song which i was so obsessed with i really liked that one so what are the punks in malaysia doing (laughs) what was the consensus (laughs) seems like there's a lot more like hardcore and garage punk um over there like which isn't quite like i'm more of a post-punk fan myself but I really liked that um, No Control track, which is pretty garagey. They're from a little place called Kota Kinabalu. And I don't know much about that scene, but I think it's a little bit more like hardcore as well, rather than like post-punk. A lot of the, it's like quite DIY as well. Um, 
similar with Indonesia, like there's a strong like DIY and crust sort of culture, which is like has its own set of politics. And I think it's really great, even if I don't strictly relate to it. Like I really love learning about what they're doing and seeing and their community actions and stuff. Um, can you elaborate on what DIY culture in music means? Well, I'm not an expert. I think it's sort of like that kind of thing is like making that music is about like showing solidarity with their community and it's sort of about promoting these political ideas of solidarity rather than being like, oh, this is the music that's going to sell or this is the music that is like going to be beat. Like it's more about fostering their community together and it's not about being like, oh, we're amazing at our instruments and we're the best. It's about like everyone and anyone can play we're going to, like, have this, like, clean culture, sort of, like, exchanging cultural content with each other and supporting each other rather than making a scene. Like, I think it's that community versus city debate, which is a really interesting distinction. Yeah, and a really, I feel, different scene to maybe what you get in, like, the punk scene in Melbourne sometimes. Totally. I mean, I think that, like... The DIY punk in Melbourne has quite a similar ethos, though I'm not really a part of it. Um, and also a cool thing is that a lot of the Indonesian and Malaysian punks have come to Melbourne and um, been a part of that DIY scene here as well. But in terms of the more, the scene that we'd be more familiar with, like like shows at the Tote and Old Bar and stuff like that, it's like extremely different and very much less DIY. Like, it seems like it relies a little bit more on labels and that kind of organising, which is just a different sort of thing. Asian punk will ever start to infuse in Hextet? I really want it to. <laughs> I really want to go and play there. Like, it, it's been a goal of mine for a long time. There's a venue called Rumor Uppy that I'd really love to play at. Um, and when I went to that record store, I was keen. Like, they were all really nice. And um, I showed them some music and I was like, I'd love to come back and play. So maybe when our borders are no longer closed. <laughs> oh, you'll be beelining for that record store. <laughs> Um, I guess my other favourite track that I chose was that Aka Umbi one. Um, mm. The story is so amazing. Um, basically, it's a traditional song that comes from the Temuan people in Pertak, which is the north of Malaysia. 
Um, my grandparents used to have a house there, which was just like literally in the jungle. Um, and so they lived really close to the Tenwan community. Um, they are an athlete as well. And they had that big um, Limbongula, which is the big um, tube made of, I think, bamboo, but I could be wrong. And so there's like one really big tube that's like a low frequency and keeps the beat. And then there's a smaller tube that is like syncopated and higher and they're called the mother and child and then they're beat and then the women in the village were singing and I think in a round with each other and then I asked like a friend who lives in that village I was like what is this song about because I don't really I don't speak the language and he was like I can't be sure because the old women were really vague but apparently it was about like an alien ship that capsized on a mountain and became the village. And then the aliens decided that Earth was their home. So they stayed. <laughs> I was like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Colonization reference? But it also could have been about a warrior who married a different tribe and then rejected his old family and then his ship capsized on a hill. And I was like, those are two totally different stories. <laughs>
woman who's singing that um, Mark Mena was like a prominent member of the community and she actually like became somewhat famous singing the traditional songs and then like infused them with like a live band in the late 90s which is Aka Umbi and then they performed some of these like songs for like huge audiences because they were really against this dam being built in their community at the time and they were trying to raise awareness and I just thought it was really cool because they were like taking autonomy with their traditional music by choosing to add sort of new instruments to it and then project their message further by like choosing to change it and I thought it was just an interesting way of using song to talk about their political issues. Yeah no political activism and music I always yeah it astounds me time and time again when I listen to a song in a different language and then find out that it was like either yeah, maybe propaganda or it was a piece of extreme activism and not knowing the language I didn't get any of that and it's interesting because we might just like enjoy a song and then we read into it more and then we're like oh my god really powerful and so lucky to have heard that and I'm glad that you know they could talk about that and that it could resonate with someone so far away some of the punk music that you selected do you know about like the lyrical content if it is more because I feel like a lot of punk music can often have quite political content I did read about the other one by um, the Maya, the one with the dragon on the front. I don't know if you saw that, but that one's really interesting. They're Indonesian, and they were combining like hardcore and metal vocals with traditional Balinese like ritual devotional songs. That that really meditative like growly one that I put on. It's really cool. Like they were bringing together like punk aesthetics and devotional aesthetics in this awesome way. was by the Indonesian duo Senyawa. 
which mixes a lot of folklore traditions from Indonesian islands with experimental music. Senyawa's music is also provided by one of the artist's self-made musical instruments called a bamboo spear. It is made from bamboo and traditional agricultural tools from rural Indonesia. Apparently it's a thick bamboo with animal skin used as percussive strips along steel strings. And then when you amplify this, this provides the garage guitar distortions that you can hear. It also means it can be percussive on one side with the animal hide, whilst being melodically bowed and plucked on the other. The vocalist Rali Shabara Harman was actually formerly part of an Indonesian math rock group called Zoo, which I think explains how incredibly diverse the voice is here. And interestingly, the name Senyawa is a translation derived to mean chemical compound, and they kind of wanted this to describe how they were using lots of different elements in music, both referring to the bamboo instrument and the human voice to create their signature sound. Tarambara yundanil, 
Kathakali is the name of the track and is also the term used to describe this type of theatrical art that involves both makeup, costumes, dancing and acting and it's performed predominantly in the Malayalam region of India in Kerala. This tradition appeared to start around the 17th century and differs from a lot of the classical dances found elsewhere in India in that it incorporates both ancient Indian martial arts and athletic traditions common to South India. As you can hear, there's usually three or so drums performed and often a lot of raga vocal melodies to go on top, both for delivering the lines of the play, but also just for expressing emotionality through voice modulation. I'm going to go out with another track by Akka Ambi. This one is called Sangai Macau and is a story of a woman's lament for the vanishing beauty and magic of the ancient rainforest as the modern world encroaches. Again, an absolutely huge thanks to Isabel Barnes for coming on and sharing her stories and information and music. It's such an honour to have her on this podcast. I will put links in the show notes to where you can find her music. My name is Zan. You are tuned to XL Radio. Don't worry, 
kita berayu, ay ngolok langsung.